Our Father, all we need is Your Spirit. We pray for a spirit of faith and power and love and of a sound mind. I pray, Lord, that You would get me out of the way and that You would come here manifestly as we look at Your Word that all of us, speaker and hearer, might gaze a little bit upon You and Your glory. Lord, I I think of um, those words of Whitfield where he said, today I commence to begin to start to live the Christian life. And I, I feel in my own life, Lord, so much ground yet to be taken. Amen. So great and precious promises yet to be entered into. Amen. So much reality that You've told us of that we've yet tasted. And Lord, we're thankful for everything we have tasted. We've seen a little. We've gotten a glimpse. And You've changed us forever. But Lord, we ask You for Your help today. We ask You that You would get me out of the way and that You would speak to us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, in John chapter 7, the chief priests and the Pharisees sent lawyers to take the Lord Jesus, take Him into custody. And they came back empty-handed. And they said, why? Why didn't you bring Him? And they said, never did any man speak like this. And it's true. No one who has ever lived spoke as the Lord Jesus spoke. No one who has ever lived spoke with the authority with which He spoke. You just stop and think of some of the things that Jesus said. He said, don't, don't think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Well, He did come to bring peace, but He came to bring a sword too. And many people have the idea He came here to carry lambs around and smooth everything over. But that wasn't it. <clears throat> How about this, Luke 16.15, that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. What a statement that is. Everything the world's clamoring after, at least in the world's version of it, power, beauty, wealth, success, all those things are an abomination to God. It's an amazing thing. Another place he said in Matthew 12:36, every idle word that a man shall speak, he shall give account of it in the day of judgment. Every frivolous thing, every foolish thing, every sinful thing. And, we, and you just stop and meditate on that. Well, of course, you know God's judgment is not going to be kind of halfway or got a bunch of slack in it. It's going to come right down to the razor's edge of even idle words. 
Amazing thing. Matthew 19, 24, it says, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Do we think like that? You see a rich man, do you think, well, I feel sorry for that guy. I'm glad I'm not in that guy's shoes. (laughs) Think of that. It's Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for that man to be saved. Luke 13:24 Strive to enter at the narrow gate. Agonize to enter at the narrow gate. Many will seek to enter and will not be able. Matthew 12:30 He who is not with me is against me. And he who gathers not with me scatters abroad. People like to think that there's a place of neutrality. You know, I'm not really against Jesus, but I'm not really all out for him either. No, you're either scattering or you're gathering. There's either or. You go into the either ors of the Bible, they are amazing. For or against, Paul says, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed, let him be anathema. So, these are just a few of the shocking and extreme statements of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want us today to concentrate on one group of those statements. Uh, There are six of them, and they're all just as weighty and just as important and just as absolute and extreme as any that I've mentioned here in passing. Every one of these six statements has the word unless, or as the King James has it, except. Unless, unless such and such, you shall in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. Six statements. Unless. Every one of these six verses tells us something that's absolutely necessary. Beloved, if you don't have the reality of these six things, and if you have one, you have them all, but they're different facets of the same reality, but if you don't have that, you will in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. So nothing could be more important or more relevant for every one of us here this morning. <clears throat> if I don't have these things, I'm going to be in hell. If you don't have these things, you're going to be in hell. And this is not me talking. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of how absolute these words will ring in eternity. Think of, think of the judgment day when He says, I said, I said, you heard this. I said, unless this, you're going to perish. And you sit there and listen to it. Unless this. So, <clears throat> what are these in unless or accept statements of the Lord Jesus? Well, the first one's in Matthew 5. And verse 20, I say to you that unless or except your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. You shall not. Well, who are these scribes and Pharisees? Well, they were the most intensely 
quote, righteous and religious people that you could ever imagine. They went to church faithfully. They read the Bible, studied it diligently. They prayed fervently even. Seriously. They prayed daily. They fasted twice a week. They gave tithes of everything. Do you do all that? Well, you've got to have a lot more than that or you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. How could that be? How could anyone be more righteous than those people? Well, the Lord gives us the answer in verses 21 and following. He's not talking about imputed righteousness here. He's talking about actual heart righteousness that has to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. So verse 21 and 22, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. Whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Whoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. Whoever shall say you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the hell of fire. So a Pharisee would not have murdered anybody physically. But in the heart he would murder. Jesus said, you've got to have more righteousness than that. <clears throat> so let me ask you a question. Is there anybody you hate? First John 3.15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. That's what Jesus is talking about, having righteousness more than those people did. They were, they were intensely religious. But they didn't have the righteousness required to enter heaven. It's an inner thing. There has to be that interchange. We have to have the righteousness of Christ laid to our account legally, but there has to be a change inside of you too. And he's describing that. We're not saved by works, but our works, what's going on inside is an index of the reality of whether God's done anything in your life or not. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. You know no murderer has eternal life. Is there anybody you're unwilling to forgive? Jesus said, hand them over to the torturers. So shall my heavenly Father do to you if each one of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. That's serious business. Is there anybody in the world that you have not forgiven? That's serious business. If so, your righteousness is like there, like these scribes and Pharisees. You've got to have more than that. What else did the Lord mean? Well, in 20, verse 27, He says, You've heard it said, You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, everyone that looks on a woman to lust for has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if your eye makes, right eye makes you stumble, tear it out. Throw it from you, for it's better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. 
So, do you live in a dream world of adultery in your heart? If so, you're no different than these scribes and Pharisees. The Christians fail in many ways. We talked about that earlier today. Righteous man falls seven times, but there's a difference in the way. There's something different inside a Christian. There's some there's heart purity. There's a desire to please God and to walk with God. So these Pharisees, they could avoid adultery outwardly, but they lived in a dream world of adultery inside. What else does the Lord mean when He talks about this? Well, verse 43, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you in order that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. So loving your enemies, praying for them, praying for that person who hates you. That's a mark of this reality inside. So, how many church members are in their life is filled with lust and bitterness and jealousy and hatred and envy? Such such people shall in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. Don't let anybody deceive you with mere words. You've got to have more righteousness. And you start trying to clean up your life, you're not going to do any better than those Pharisees did. How in the world am I going to make myself right on the inside? And the answer is you can't do it. You've got to have the next unless. And that's in John chapter 3 and verse 3. This one is just as absolute. What a wonderful thing. Jesus answered and said to him, one of these Pharisees, one of these religious men, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Amen. So, how in the world am I going to get an internal righteousness that's something from the inside? I can't do it by cleaning up the outside. How am I going to get it? I have to be born again. Amen. Have you been born more than once? That's a question today. Amen. <laughs> if you've only been born one time, you're, you're going to be in hell. What does it mean to be born again? Well, he tells in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's physical birth. That which is born of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is spirit. There's a spiritual, something spiritual is born. It says that it's spirit. Is the Holy Spirit real? Yes. Is this, is this spirit that's born real? It's something real happens. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. There's something born in the spiritual realm. You begin to exist for the first time in the realm where God is. You see, being born again is not getting something you didn't have before. It's becoming someone who you never were before. 
You're you're a new creation. If any man anywhere be in Christ, he's a new creation. Amen. Old things have passed away. Everything's become new. It's like the photographic film, the light hits it, it's changed. It's changed forever. You have a new existence, a new outlook, a new desire, a new heart. God says regarding this new birth, He says, I will take out the heart of stone and I'll put a living heart in you. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statute. Something happens, the spirit of God inside of you won't let you live the same way. That's why he says in 1 John, he that is born of God does not practice sin. Well, what keeps you from practicing sin when you're born of God? Well, he says he does not practice sin because God's seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he's born of God. So when the Christian tries to go down that path, the the divine seed that's in him, the divine God uses these terms. His nature, His Spirit is within you and He won't let you do it. You can't stand it. You might go that way for a while, but eventually my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. A whole new outlook and new existence. So have you been born in the spiritual realm? Have you begun to exist in the spiritual realm? It's so when you become a Christian, I remember for myself, it it was I mean everything was new. It was like the beer cans by the side of the road were new. I mean just as you're alive, you're in a new realm. See these little babies running around there exploring and have you ever entered into the realm where God is? Have you been born into that realm? Have you been changed inside so that instead of the law being outside, external, slapping your hand on everything you want to do, the law is put inside and you want to be holy and you want to follow God? That's what it is to have a righteousness that surpasses the scribes and Pharisees. Well, that brings us to the third unless or except in Luke 13, verses 1 to 5. This is quite an amazing passage. It says, on that same occasion there were some present, Luke 13, 1, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now, we don't know what this was some contemporary event. We don't know anything about it other than this here in the Bible, but Apparently what had happened, some Jews had been in the temple sacrificing. And right while they're offering sacrifices to God, Pilate, wicked man, secular man, comes in here and has them killed and mingles their blood with their sacrifice blood. Uh, You'd have the thought in your mind, now those guys must have really been wicked for God to let that happen. And they came and talked to Jesus about it. You hear about what happened to those guys. 
And he answered and said to them, verse 2, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you, no. But unless... There it is. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. There is people today, there are people today that are saying the opposite. They say you don't need to preach repentance, you just preach believe. But that's the opposite of what the Bible says. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters. Not talking about cleaning up your life first, but we are talking about having your whole way of viewing reality turned and changed. Amen. And you start to see things differently. Those people, they thought those Galileans, they must have been really bad. Jesus said, no, they're not any worse than anybody else. And they thought, well, we're all good then, and bad things happen to good people. He said, no, unless you repent, the same thing will happen to you. And the marvel is, and then the Lord Himself brings up another event. He brings up this tower that fell. We don't know anything about it either. But it was something that evidently had happened at that time that they were familiar with. He says, Do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them were worse debtors or culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So, you know, the problem comes up. We have here what wicked men do. And we have here what you'd say is something that happens in nature. Tower falls. And we used to spend quite a bit of time on college campuses talking to students. And one of the things that comes up, and it comes up with a lot of people, if God is good, how could He allow that tsunami to kill all those people over in so-and-so? Jesus had a totally different mindset. He said those people aren't any worse than you and the same thing will happen to you if you don't repent. So the marvel to Jesus was not that the tower fell or the tsunami came. The marvel was that it hadn't fallen on me yet and on you. All those towers that haven't fallen on you yet all of those car accidents that you haven't been in yet, you're still alive and you still have the opportunity to come to God, but you may not have that tomorrow. There is no guarantee of that whatsoever. Unless you repent, you've got to have your mind turned around and realize you're wrong and you've been wrong all along. You'll perish. It's absolute. Well, that brings us to the fourth unless. Matthew 18. 
Matthew 18 and verse 3. He said, Truly I say to you, unless, unless you are converted and become like children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is absolute. You've got to be born again. You've got to have a change of mind. You've got to repent. But you've also got to be converted and become like little children. You you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. It's a blessed thought to think that every Christian has had to become like a little child. There aren't any big shots. You see the you know the glossy the glossy picture on the front cover of the Christian magazine. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a bunch of little children. You cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you're turned around, converted. What's it mean? What's the word convert mean? It means to turn around. So, in other words, you're going all your life this way and now you find yourself going that way. That's another question. Are you still going the same direction you've been going all your life? Unless you're turned around, you will in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. What does the Lord mean when He says we must become like children? Well, He does not mean that children are humble. Children are not humble. They they are the biggest show-offs. But when you become like a child, you take that position where everybody looks over your head and doesn't take what you say seriously and everything else. You take... you, they treat you like a child. That is, they discount, and you're taking a lowly position, in other words. That's what it's talking about. And it does mean that you have to humble yourself. Doesn't mean children are humble, but it does mean you have to humble yourself. You have to become like a child. <clears throat> Jesus. is talking about all different types of pride. There's intellectual pride. <clears throat> Got to be willing to humble our intellectual pride and be willing to be taught like little children. I am but a child. I don't know how to go out or come in. That's, a, that's the attitude of a Christian. You find somebody that knows everything, that's a bad sign. Paul said, I was just marveling at this yesterday. Paul said, if anybody thinks he knows anything, he doesn't know anything yet the way he ought to know it. If I need counsel from somebody, I want to go to somebody that doesn't know anything. In the sense of realizing that they're... It scares me when somebody says, oh, someone's just having a marriage problem. I'd be glad to counsel them. Well, I wouldn't. Because I don't, I, you're cast upon God to do impossible, to give impossible answers, to help in situations. In these deals that have five points of how, how to such and such, you might as well throw that in the trash. 
the Lord deals differently in different situations. You need divine wisdom. You're cast upon God. Say, brother, I don't, I don't know. Let's pray. You know? So, when you become as a child, you, you humble your intellectual pride. He says, I thank Thee, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that You've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them unto babes. You, you humble your social pride and your uh, pride in the eyes of the world. Your religious pride. Admit that you're nobody just like everybody else. It, we had a Chinese girl live with us for several months many years ago. And she was trying to get saved, quote-unquote. And uh, she heard the Church of Christ told her, you know, they were saying you need to get baptized. I said, her, she went by the name Lydia. I said, Lydia, if you go down that water, you're going to go down a dry center and come out a wet center. <laughs> that's all that's going to happen. And she knew it was true. I said, Let, let's kneel down here. I said, if, if it, there, here, here you are, here's the mud, and here's a prostitute kneeling down beside you. Are you willing to kneel down beside her and ask God for mercy? She said, "I know, I'm not going to do that." Well, you know, you don't, you don't realize if you don't realize that you're a bad sinner, you don't even realize that you're a sinner. You start to get a little glimpse of it. I mean, when God began to show me some of the things in my life, I felt like I could see blood dripping out of my fingers. I'm not talking about big things so-called in the eyes of the world but you just realize it just permeates everything you lie you connive you twist you do all this nobody is going to be put into hell saying well i'm a good person no they're not she wasn't willing to do that we Years later, God did save her, but she wasn't. She didn't live in America anymore. You humble your independence and your self-sufficiency, and acknowledge that you're just as helpless and dependent as a little child. Amen. So that brings us to the fifth, unless John chapter eight. John chapter eight and verse twenty-four. I said therefore to you that you shall die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am, you shall die in your sins. We see here that faith is an absolute necessity for salvation. Unless you believe, and not just faith of any kind, but believing on who Jesus is specific kind of faith. Believe unless you believe that I am. What does that mean? Well, we get a hint in verse 23. He says, You're from below, I am from above. You're of this world, I am not of this world. Unless you believe that I am. The word He is supplied in some Bibles, but it's just unless you believe that I am. And the idea is is that you come to conversion involves coming to see a glimpse of who Jesus is. 
That's what happens in conversion. A little later in the chapter, the Lord Jesus makes it very clear what He means by these words, I am. You go down to verse 56 in chapter 8. He's talking to the Jews here and He says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see My day and he saw it and was glad. Abraham got a glimpse of the Messiah. The Jews therefore said to him, You're not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, literally, before Abraham came into being, I am. So, before Abraham existed, the Lord Jesus Christ existed. But He he didn't just say, before Abraham was born, I was. Before Abraham was born, I am. That is, he not only existed, he existed eternally before Abraham was born. He takes the very name of God that he gave to Moses there at the burning bush. Now, do you realize what he's saying? Unless you believe that I am, how in the world is anybody going to believe that this carpenter from Nazareth is the I am? The only way that happens is the revelation. No man knows the Father except the Son. He says, I have exclusive knowledge of God in this entire world. I'm the only person who knows God. And He to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. And Jesus said, who do do men say that I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah, one of the prophets. Who do you say that I am? He said, I think you're the Christ. No, he didn't. I believe you're the Christ. No, he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. You didn't get this from men. Flesh and blood has not revealed it to you, but my Father who is in heaven. No man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. Somebody says, well, they discovered the bones of Jesus and the, you know, and He didn't actually rise. If you're a Christian, you know absolutely that's a lie. <laughs> you, know? you just know it. Because you know He's Lord, you know who He is, you've seen a glimpse of the glory. What, what is it to be converted? God who commanded light to shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what happens. Unless, unless you can say, Jesus is Lord, in that way, you shall in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. One time I was, I used to lay carpet to help supplement the income. That's why I look the way I do. I'm actually 20 years old right now. <laughs> but I, I was had an unusual job. I was working outside at at the college campus. I've forgotten whether there were some steps outside or what. But a, a girl came up to me, Jehovah's Witness, started talking to me, and I said, "Let." Me, at some point in there, I said, let me ask you a question. Have you ever worshipped the Lord Jesus Christ? She said, well, no. Why would I want to do that? I said, well, people in the Bible worshipped Him. 
And if you ever see him, you'll worship him too. <laughs> That's right. Well, what's the sixth unless? John 6, beginning in verse 48. John 6, 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread also which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. He's talking about his sacrificial death for sin. Jews therefore began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat, you get it? Unless, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. You're not going to be in heaven unless you eat the flesh and drink the blood of Christ. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and only that person. And I'll raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also shall live because of me the fathers ate the bread which there this this is the bread which came down out of heaven not as the fathers ate and died he who eats this bread shall live forever <clears throat> so it's an absolute necessity so i could ask you this morning are you eating the flesh of the son of man and drinking his blood what, what does that mean? First of all, it's a spiritual thing. Verse 63, he says, The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to your spirit and life. So, this is something spiritual. It is the spirit who gives life. Uh, total opposite of the Catholic idea of somehow of taking communion or something like that. What does it mean to eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood? Well, uh, verse 35, we're told what eating and drinking is. I am the bread of life. He who comes to Me shall not hunger. That's the eating coming to Christ. He who believes in Me shall never thirst. That's the drinking. Coming and believing. Coming and believing. Believing particularly on His sacrificial death. My, the, my body, this bread is my body broken for you. <clears throat> so, to eat the flesh of Christ and drink His blood is the most personal, intimate application of assimilation of what Christ has done for us. It's active 
not passive. You come and you partake of Him, of His shed blood. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So, you believe and partake of His broken body and shed blood. The Christian is one who eats the flesh. He, I think old Rolf Barnard was the one that said it. He said that hey, the Christians come and we gather together and worship and we feast on the blood of our justification. <laughs> I mean, you, you think, I'm, I'm right in the sight of God. I'm justified because that blood has been shed. Amen. And it's personal appropriation. And he says, He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood, he lives. Just like I live because of the Father. You, you have life. It's not a one-time deal. I believe back there, back then. It doesn't say the Gospel is the power of God unto salvation for him that used to believe. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And it's an ongoing thing because your faith is sustained by God. You didn't come up with it in the first place. He sustains it. I prayed for you that your faith fail not. So it's an ongoing believing and participating in this broken body and shed blood of one who's not just a man. We're talking about the I Am. God came into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. And John says, we beheld His glory that was unlike anything that ever has been. It was a unique divine glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father. Full of grace and truth. And so you come to see and believe that He is the I Am and you realize that He is the One who died on the cross for your sin. And you feast on the body and blood of Christ. Now all of those things are saying the same thing in different ways from different angles so you might understand what's going on a little bit. 6 unless statements from the Lord Jesus Christ. I say they're just as radical as anything He ever said. You've got to be born again. Nicodemus says, how in the world? How's that going to happen? Has to be a miracle of the Spirit of God. Say, well, there's nothing I can do. God just has to do it. Unless you repent, you'll perish. Amen.